So now we come to this final lesson on anxiety, freedom from anxiety. And part seven, we're just going to look briefly at verse 34, because that said that we would just do a Q&A this week and the next. We will. Um, I'm going to answer questions starting today, and I will do it next week when it comes to anxiety. People have sent in some questions which I thought were good, and we're going to open it up today to you. We'll have some mics for you to to ask your questions. But we're briefly going to focus on verse 34, freedom from anxiety. Our main passage has been Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And you've seen this statement from George Mueller every week that we've gone through it. And George Mueller clearly stated that the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith and the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. And so what Mueller has boiled it down to is this reality when a person is truly trusting the living God, a God who in 2024 is what? What is God? Faithful. When we're trusting a faithful God, there is no room for anxiety. Because if we trust God and all of his sovereignty and his providence and his goodness and his mercy and his righteousness and his kindness and his power and his omnipresence and his knowledge of all things, then why would I be anxious? Is God, I asked for a survey, quick survey, is God all-powerful? Is God all-knowing? Is God ever-present? Is God absolutely faithful? Is God kind? Is God merciful? Is God providential? Is God sovereign? Then why do we worry? Hmm. (laughs) Okay, I hear various answers now. (laughs) Because we're from yes, yes, yes. What say ye, right? What say ye? Yes. What say ye? Yes. And then when we say, so why why are we worrying? Oh, good question. Very excellent question. And that's what we've been answering over these weeks, is that there is no need for us to worry. This is an ancient issue. This is not something that's developed with society and the the modern pressures of life itself. Uh, Jesus Christ spoke these words, you know, 2,000 years ago. And the psalmist spoke those words even beyond that, obviously. And Solomon spoke those words before Jesus Christ about anxiety. It's not new. And some would convince us that this is almost like a new phenomenon. And this is why we need um, the therapy that is spent. This is why we need the medications that are spent. No, it is not. And you say, well, but life is different now. It's complex. It's complicated. I would say at times we make it complicated. And we make it complex because of the lifestyle that we choose and some of the aspirations that we have. And I would also say this, because of some of the... Um, it's privileges that we have, but a better way of saying it, it's really our expectations for life. We expect life to be a certain way, and when it's not a certain way, we find ourselves frazzled. God has not promised that life will be free of difficulty. As a matter of fact, for a Christian, he has promised the opposite, has he not? What did Jesus Christ promise if you follow me? What did he promise? You will be what? 
persecuted. Did he promise that the world would love us? No, he promised that the world would do what? Hate you. And with that comes difficulty and heartache. And even if you just remove yourself from the being a Christian, life itself is just hard. Hard, difficult. Because of the fall, certain things happen to even our bodies. And what happens to our bodies? Sometimes you do go to the doctor's office and he tells you, I have bad news. Because that's uh, the result of the fall. And that's not new. It isn't. And so how do we deal with life? And there are going to be calls that you get. And someone says you, I have bad news for you. Just like the call that I got, you know, last week. And, and I, I knew that it was something uh, troublesome as my sister left this message. And I heard her voice and she was, Carl, Carl, give me a call right away. And I just talked to my other sister and she told me about a cousin that it passed, but we saw it coming. You know, he had uh, sicknesses and he was older. So we just thought, oh my, yeah, well, you know, time has moved on and, and all of us, we're going to get that call one day, are we not? We're going to get that call. And, and then I got this call later on. I thought, oh my, so what happened now? Because that voice tone is very different. And I called him and the first thing she said to me was just this. She was Carl, Carl, Carl like three or four times. And Michael, which who is my great nephew, he was murdered. And I thought, oh my. So now life, here's life. And I was thinking about my sister Althea who called earlier, who is Michael's grandmother. And I'm thinking, oh, how is Althea feeling? And she said, well, the family thought, you know, I should call you and tell you because, you know, Althea is, she just got the news herself. And I was, and Sean, who is my nephew and, and Michael's uncle, he was in Texas at the time and he decided he wasn't going to fly. He was just going to drive from Texas back in one of his trucks he has in his business because he just needed to process it. And eventually I talked to him about how you're dealing with this. And I called my sister later and she's telling me that he's murdered. And then I talked to another nephew, and he's walking away from some incident, and someone shoots him in the back in a fatal blow to the back of his head. And beyond that, they tell me that now that the police, after an investigation, they found 12 casings. 12! How many entered his body? We aren't sure. I don't care to know. And I'm talking to them, and, and they're feeling this anxiety. Here is life. Here is concern. This is how life is. Why? Because of the fall. Because of our ancient, ancient parents who made a decision in perfection that they wanted what God told them they could not have, although he had given them everything that they absolutely needed. Do you agree with that? And so is life really any different today? In some ways not, because God has given us everything we absolutely need, but sometimes we tend to want the things that God says, no, not that. And we indict so easily Adam and Eve and so, oh, had I been there? Oh, friend, no, no. 
Just retract that statement, right? Because we tend to do that even sometimes in, in other portions of Scripture. You know, in the Old Testament, when Israel was unfaithful, uh, when they're serving the gods of the land. Had I been there, I would have surely had the spirit of Caleb. Some of you would have. Because obviously someone had the spirit of Caleb, Caleb. Someone had the spirit of Joshua, Joshua. And someone are those faithful people to the tribes of Israel, and you would have been some of those people. But all of us must ask, really, how do I live my life? Do I really live it trusting the Lord in this difficult world in which we live? It's not a new issue. And so we must learn to trust this faithful God that we could, if I were to spend the rest of our time here just walking through all the attributes of God and all of God's goodness and all the great things that he has done and his great untainted history of faithfulness to the people of God, all of you would say amen and amen, would you not? You would say it. We could go on, we really could, for the next 40 minutes, we could go on until time last ended and say, just stay here. We're going to do this through the next service. Just stay here. We're going to do it through lunch. Just stay here. We're going to do it through the evening service. Just stay here. Let's just camp out and talk about God's faithfulness. Would there be an end of it? No, there would not be. And these are the things that we need to meditate on and have to, has to be a part of our mind so that when the issues of life come, it goes to that grid and then the issues of life come and then they're purified and then we gain a perspective on life and how we should respond to those issues. And on the other side, we don't come out a person that's worrying and anxious. We come out as a person who is walking by faith and trusting in a God who is what? Faithful. A God who is faithful. Anxiety has been defined this way as we've been seeing for the last several weeks. I give you this definition. Worry has been defined as a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. Because it's those thoughts of worry, the thoughts of worry, the thoughts of worry, the thoughts of worry. And they cut that channel in the mind. And then the thoughts about God's sovereignty and providence and greatness and his majesty and his goodness get drained and sometimes swept away and they're placed in some archive in the back of our mind and our heart. And they're not readily available for us. And this is why we have to think often about God. And so what have we done? Um, We've looked at these seven uh, good words of Matthew chapter 6. And I remind you what they were. We said that we can gain freedom by this passage Uh, By considering temporal things in life. Verse 25 tells us what? Um, Don't be worried about your life as to what you shall eat. Life is more than that, these things. Then in verse 26, you can gain freedom from anxiety by realizing that human life in lesser beings. God takes care of the lesser. Surely he's going to take care of you, verse 26. And then also considering its negative effects. Verse 27, what does it say? Can you add a single cubic to your life by being what? Worrisome. But it is guaranteed, proven, medically proven, that worry, constant worry, can actually take away from your life. Do you know that? Of course you do. Yeah, absolutely. 
And then as well, you can gain freedom by considering the providence of God. We have a heavenly father who orchestrates all things in life and everything is controlled by him. Now, I pause for a moment. I did say the good words of Matthew 6. Why the good words? Turn briefly to Proverbs chapter 12. They are the good words of Matthew 6, because in Proverbs 12, 25 is a word there on anxiety. Again, uh, this is an ancient issue. 12, 25, it says what? Anxiety in a man's heart lifts it up and gives it joy. Is that what it says? Really bad translation, right? That would be a really bad translation. Time to burn that false scripture. But a good word does what? So one weighs it down. And all of us would say the moments when we have allowed anxiety to play a significant role more than what it should be in our life, it weighed the heart down. And then, but yet the opposite, but a good word makes it glad. So the question is now, what is that good word? I would say the good word is obviously the preaching of the word of God. The good word is the word of God itself. The, wor- the good word are the encouragements that you gain from others who are biblically based. Now notice the condition. What's the condition? Because people may give you counsel on anxiety and worry, but they may not be good words. Do you understand that? Has anyone ever gotten bad counsel before? Oh, yes, you have. And especially sometimes you reach back into your past and you're talking to friends who don't have the same worldview that you do. They don't believe in the same principles that you do. And so they're going to give you words, but they won't be good words. And this is why the scripture tells us what? That we're supposed to live with one another. And a part of living with one another is that we stimulate one another to what? Say it. Love and good deeds. Who are the people who are stimulating you with good words? And I'd also see this, say this with a good example. I can follow you as you follow Christ. And I'll follow you because you're giving me good words. And um, I mentioned to you before, you know, pastoring, whether it be former church or here, and you're there at someone's maybe bedside. And I shared with you whether times when silence is appropriate not to say something. That's wisdom. And then... Uh, many times I can remember even one occasion now I know them. And if I mention their name, Joanna would know the family as well from our former church. And they said to me, Pastor, give us a good word. Give us a good word. Because for a while I just sat there and I just listened. And they were sharing their heartache over what had happened in life. And turned to me and says, give me a good word. Where do you think I looked? <laughs> for that good word. And I was like, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I like that. I looked to the good book. Uh, that's what, like, my, you know, growing up, that's what, you know, our parents at times, or especially grandparents would say, turn to the good book for the good words. And so these are good words in Matthew. And then notice, if you will, uh, number five, you can gain it by considering its poor example. It's the example of the world. It's the example of the Gentiles. They are concerned about these things. You shouldn't be concerned about these things. Why are they concerned about these things? Because their life is wrapped up in the here and now. 
Why are they anxious about certain things? Because they have no heavenly father who is absolutely faithful like your heavenly father. Of course, they're going to be worried. Don't be like them. And then number six, the priority of the kingdom. We spent two weeks talking about that. What does it mean to be a seeker of God? And you may remember in our last lesson um, on seeking God, I gave you, I think it was like 19 ways in which we can seek the Lord. To be a seeker of God means obviously it is a priority in life. And if you can live by that priority, then God is saying you won't be anxious. Why? Because by default, and we had a wonderful time uh, at our our men's uh, gathering on Saturday. It was a good time with the men as we talked about what we were going to do in the future and, and even taking in some topics. And we laid out some topics. It was a good time. And one thing that I shared with the guys, we briefly talked about holiness and the idea that when we strive for holiness, by default, there is avoidance of the world. And that just makes sense, does it not? Because if you're striving for one thing, it means that you're leaving something else behind, are you not? And so if we're a seeker of God, it means that I cannot be a seeker of God and also be a person who is overwhelmed with anxiety. Because as I see the glory of God more and more in his word, as I pray, as I meditate, as I hear good words from his word, and as I hear good words from other people who are walking with Christ and giving me sound counsel, by avoidance, I leave anxiety behind. Then the seventh consideration is this. You can gain it by considering the priority of the present. Now, look at verse 34, and this is our final verse Uh, that we will look at, and then I'm going to take some questions from you. Briefly, only briefly, in verse 34, because I think it's been sufficiently said uh, in the previous lessons. Verse 34, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Do you find that to be true? Each day has enough trouble of its own. So I just give you two basic principles for you to consider. Number one is this. Being anxious about tomorrow reflects a distrust in the one who knows tomorrow, who absolutely controls tomorrow. Christ is plain in his language. Why are you worried about tomorrow? Today has enough for you to deal with. Use the energies in what God has placed before you today. Now, um, a caveat to that. This is not to say that we don't plan for the future because we've already addressed that. Uh, We go to the end and we look at his diligence and how they put away. We look even in the animal kingdom. They're storing up even for the future. Sure, we do that. We plan for it. We can make certain plans. But even in that, we have to be careful because as it's been said, uh, the the best laid plans of mice and men, what happened to them? Oh, no, because even the Proverbs says that, does it not? Look at Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16. We have to be careful about our plans. Don't, I'm saying again, let me be clear. I'm not saying that you don't make them, but you cannot worry about them. And it says, Proverbs 16, 19, the mind of man plans his way, but the Lord does what? Directs his steps. Go back with me, and you know it well, Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3, a life verse in one sense for us all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, 
and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge, and who will? He will make your path straight. Trust. Now, I have this verse. There's certain things that I pray about often and things I pray about every day. Uh, This verse is there, and I have um, something written next to it. Because for me, I like to plan. Uh, I like to know what's coming up. What can I prepare for? Uh, What's the next step for my life? What's the next step for ministry? How do I ready myself for it? And... um, I've learned when I heard a a message about this, I was praying about, okay, what is my future? How many years am I here? What goes, what's next for this? What's the next episode in life for me? Lord, help me understand it. And I heard a message and I preached this before, but sometimes this is, let me say something to you that ties into this message, but it's just a good principle for you all. Learn to listen to preaching. You say, wait a minute, that's why I'm here at Grace Community Church. No, not necessarily. But you still have to learn to listen to preaching, no matter how much you've heard it. Do you understand? No, it doesn't matter how much you've heard it. Learn to listen to preaching. Always come with an attitude. Lord, what is it that you will say to me today? Have some expectation that God is going to speak to you every time you hear preaching from a true preacher, from God's word. And so as I was there at this um, event, uh, that was his text. And, you know, I've preached it before myself. I've heard multiple messages over the decades. But I thought, okay, Lord, and there it was. And that day I went to my sort of like a spiritual diary and I wrote it down and I put trust and not details because I wanted the details. Trust the Lord, and it's what's right in front of me. I will do it. What the Lord has given me, I will do it. And God will direct my future in his good time. This is how we have to live our life. Know that God is in in control of tomorrow. And number two, basic principle for us is this. Being anxious about tomorrow limits your potential impact on the present. Because now energies that you've now expended on something that you may or may not know, and often you cannot control, now those energies are expended there, and you cannot live in the present. Because if you follow these other principles, then the mind can be divided. There's a negative effect on the body. Um, You're not trusting your Heavenly Father, which means if you add all of those things up, I cannot possibly live with full impact in the here and now. And we need to live by those principles. But how do we do it? Let me give you sort of a point of reference would be this. A reference point is that we need to live by the marks of the seeker. That is, we need to be a seeker of God. So if we were to go back and consider what was said in this lesson about what it means to be a seeker, think about that. Meditate on it. Look through that list and say, Lord, where am I not seeking you properly in these areas? And then there's some key words that we need to think through. Keyword number one is this. Keyword number one, trust. Trust. Why trust? Because this is determined by your perception of God. I will trust you um, as widely 
and unconditionally as I understand who you are. There are people that we trust because they have a good reputation, do they not? I ask you a question. Uh, it's coming up um, February the 4th. Who knows what's February the 4th? What's happening on February the 4th? What's that? 55 years. Who's been here 55 years? John MacArthur, 55 years. You've learned to do what? Trust him, have you not? Do you trust him when he preaches the word of God? No, we can trust him, but let's be clear, uh, because our theology absolutely demands it. Um, He is not perfect. Amen. Sometimes I wonder with people. (laughs) Uh, Not perfect. A man of clay like others. But to be trusted because of of faithfulness to something. So how you perceive an individual, I can trust that individual. There are certain people that are not to be trusted because you have a proper perception of them. And I'm talking about a proper perception. You have a proper perception of them, and you say, I can't trust that person. Simple. Here's a friend. You call them up. You share the burdens of your heart. And they say, oh, friend, I'll pray for you. And anytime you need me, um, just let me know. Then you call that friend up again. And you tell them your heart's issues again. And they say, well, friend, sure, anytime, anything you need, absolutely, um, except for that. And you call the friend up again, and the phone doesn't ring. (laughs) Oh, the phone rings, but it just keeps ringing. And all of a sudden, you get voicemail. And you call that friend up again, and you see them and say, friend, what, what you said anytime I needed you. Well, life got busy, and there are a couple of projects I have going on. And they say, well, how about tomorrow at 11? Okay, great. Meet me at the Grace Walk at 11. We'll come together. And you're there 11, and it's 11.10, and it's 11.15. And then you, hear, you get a text message. Oh, so sorry, something came up. But I can do Wednesday at 12. Are you really showing up Wednesday at 12 with enthusiasm? No, absolutely not, because you can't really trust them. Question. Have you ever called up the Lord? And this is sort of old school language here, but I'll give it to you anyway. Have you ever called up the Lord and his line has been busy? (laughs) No. Never. Always available. Can always pour your heart out to him. Can always speak with him. But he will always act in accordance to what is best for you in his wisdom. It goes back to that timing and how and when and the ways in which we think God should minister to us and meet this need. Because this leads into this next word, key word, wait. Wait. God's sovereignty. God moves in such a way that our Heavenly Father knows what is best for us. He knows that sometimes if he answers certain prayers, that is not good for you. He knows that if it's according to that timing, it is not good for you. He will answer according to his sovereign will, and we must trust that and rest in it. Here's another word for us, needs. So the question is then when we think about needs, whose desire? Are they God's or yours? Are these real or are these felt needs? Because often we say and we pray about things, we say that we need them, 
but they are really not real needs in life. Paul was plain. Paul says, well, here, here's the reality that I've learned this secret of contentment. I've learned to be have much, and I've learned to have want. To have want. My God shall supply all of your needs. That is an absolute promise, and we have to meditate on that promise and think about that promise. And what did Paul also say? Um, that he strengthens us. He strengthens us. He strengthens us what? He strengthens us when we don't have as much, and he strengthens us, I also believe, when we, had, when we have a great deal so we don't depend on that and expect that life will always be that way. Then here's another word for you, goals. Are your goals eternal or temporal? And this is why earlier in Matthew chapter 6, it's this idea of, These things are temporal. Make sure that you're striving for things that are eternal. Let me finish up. I'm going to walk through these quickly, and I'm going to open it up to you. Here's the problem. Uh, The problem is not simply negative thinking, but a lack of theological thinking. We have to think theologically. What's the solution? The renewal of the mind. Romans 12 and 2, it's it's renewing the mind. It's Ephesians 2.23. So we have to change our thinking, then we can change our emotions, and then we change our behavior. So what's the conclusion to all of this? The cure for anxiety, I believe, is a development of a theological grid, theology which controls your choices. And let me show it to you, because we walked through it before. Maybe it was in week three or message three, that grid. And how does it operate? So we have circumstances in life, right? A loss of job. You need funds for school, funds for living, shelter, career, relationships. Uh, There's death in the family, sudden death, tragic death. You get that news from the doctor that says your loved one, your friend, your child, yourself, it's bad news. Then what do you do? And so this interfaces with the mind, how we think. And in the mind, obviously, what does Romans 12, just look at it with me. What does it tell us? How should we think? How should we live? Romans 12 and 2 tells us what? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? The renewing of the mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable in his sight, the transformed mind. And, of course, this is what Ephesians 4.23 is saying, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So right here, the issues that go through our heart, if you will, through our mind, we have to think differently. And this is why our perception of God is so important. This is why we have to meditate on the good words. And then when we have correct thinking, then there will be a response. Those that don't think properly, anxiety. Those that do, trust. And then that obviously leads to a behavior. Life, the grid that I have built and should build, response, behavior. And if I keep thinking a certain way, my behavior will manifest that way. A lack of trust and all the decisions that come with of not trusting the living God. 
We have to build a grid, if you will. And we have to make it tight. I mean, obviously, if I were to uh, go to, um, I'm camping. I, we were talking about camping even in a men's meeting. And you, you go by, I think guys are convinced more we need to do glamping or something like that. Um, Bill said he wanted a, a Hilton hotel nearby. <laughs> so, suffering, just suffering. <laughs> suffering, right? Thermostat right there, you know. <laughs> right. Um, and if you were to go by a river and you heap up some water and you pull it to your face, what's going to happen with some of it? I'm out. It's going to be wasted. I mean, if I really put the fingers together tightly and do it like that, but still some comes out. So what are you talking about, Hargrove? And your grid of your mind, your theological grid, it has to be, is this good? Can you see? Is that good? I mean, it's a grid. Is that a good grid? Is that a better grid? Is that a better grid? Is this a better grid? Is that a better grid? Absolutely, it must be tight. And what you have to fill in that grid is, well, I believe in God. Okay, great, that's a start. I believe God is what? Say something. I believe God is what? 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 Ah. And not just believe it. I'm not just talking about intellectual assent. Because especially if we just start with believing God, well, James says what of the demons? You believe in God, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. I'm talking about belief that says, I will surrender all of my life to you, even when the circumstances of life, it would make me normally question you. I know it cannot be true because you are a good God. That's what I mean by belief. Just not intellectual assent. And many people have that. And all of us in some degree have it, but then the process of sanctification, we're learning how to take that knowledge and make it practice in life. Then it becomes wisdom. Wisdom is really this knowledge applied. Wisdom is living life with skill. So you can have knowledge without really having wisdom. And that will help us overcome anxiety. Amen. All right, questions from you. We'll have some microphones. Okay, in the back. It always takes that first person um, to start us with questions about this topic. Even if you go back to your notes, pull out your electronic device and find something from the past, we can bring clarity to it, perhaps. Any questions at all? Okay, there we go. Yet, not coming off to people as like you just don't care. Like, 
Yeah, because, and I take it in the context maybe of counseling others um, that you come across. Well, you can come across as someone that is indifferent to what they're feeling and experiencing. And it's almost like, surely you know this. Um, why would you worry? Because it means that you're not trusting the Lord. Uh, and then some people right away want to jump into questioning someone's faith even. Well, that's not the way to go about it. First, we listen. We hear people, what they've experienced. Sometimes we share from our own experience with them what we've been through, how we've gone through a process where we have gone from doubt to trust ourselves. And also when you mention emotions, and that's unfortunate because I hear sometimes even in certain circles as if emotions are something that's wrong. Um, When you become an emotive person, then this is wrong. And I say an emotive person, decisions are always just in the moment, it's emotional and you aren't thinking something through. God has given us emotions, and those emotions are beautiful when they are controlled by um, the Holy Spirit. Um, We experience grief. The Scripture is even clear. It tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and to do what? Weep with those who weep. Those are emotions that you experience. Um, And we help people through those. I mean, I was talking to my... My nephew, and you know, he's just lost his son. It's not, and I said, yeah, it's not supposed to be that way, huh? These are almost like my words and my tone. Every parent thinks that they're going to be buried. You know, you make your plans. I want how great they are song. I want this done. Here are the colors that I like. Um, Don't worry about any fancy casket. This is going to deteriorate anyway. Don't you dare spend that much money on it. And this is what you do. And that's what parents expect, not to, to lose your child. Uh, and, I, and I told him, I said, I, I, can't, I can't sympathize with you, but I cannot empathize with you because I've not been there. And I pray that I'll never live that. But let's talk about it. Let's talk about what you're feeling. And, and, I, and I said this to him, which I've said to people in different contexts over the years. If you did not feel certain things, I would be concerned. If it's, I don't, you know, I mean, and I, I mean this in seriousness, but sometimes people are, oh, that doesn't bother me at all because I, I'm just trusting the Lord. Now, there's certain things that should be. You're, I mean, you're stalwart. You're going to trust the Lord. But there are events in life, if you don't feel some hurt and pain, and difficulty, then I wonder where you are in the scope of humanity, more or less Christianity. <laughs> I just wonder where you are. You have to feel something. Um, and so we have to be careful that we don't right away give emotions a bad rap. Emotions that are controlled by the Spirit are God-honoring, and, and they should be. I mean, it was so cute seeing um, Johnny and Elizabeth yesterday as they went up there. And, and when, then when they faced one another, you could have swore they were 15 or 16 years old. <laughs> I mean, just the look on their face. And what are we supposed to say? Let's stop that. <laughs> this is surely a covenant between you two people, these witnesses, and the living God. <laughs> Let's have none of that stuff. Let's think through the process of marriage properly. I'm going to give you several texts, five sub-points, and six sub-sub-points. Right? Like, no! Enjoy the moment, correct? 
enjoy the moment. Like if I was counseling with someone and they're premarital and they come together and they're just stoic and I don't see anything in their eyes, there's no sparkle in their eyes, I'm not going to marry you, friend. So just for those singles that are out there now, uh, I am not going to marry you. You have to have some sparkling. And I'm, I'm seeing someone right now newly married, and I see sparkle in their eyes even right now. Now, I, I better see you five years from now with some sparkle. <laughs> right, emotions. Right? You look around this room. Do you not feel something for some people here? I hope so. Do you not sometimes you sing praises to the living God and something wells up in you? You, you sing, for me, like, how great their art. Then I should think that God is son not sparing. Mm. Send him to die. I scarce can take it in. That on the cross. And you feel nothing? Those are just notes and words? No, ridiculous. And this is what we're, you know, sometimes, you know, conservative evangelicalism, whatever that really means, um, we just, let's not do that because those other people do that. Let's not have that crying stuff in church. Let's not have that joy in church. Oh, Oh my goodness. Anyway, I better stop. (laughs) (laughs) Question. Excellent. So next week, too, remember, come, get your questions, send them to me if you can. But this is great in the moment. So following on with that, um, when does concern become anxiety? That's a great question. So, So in the sense of most of us have family members, loved ones, sometimes even Sure. That's a great question. How do you, you know, where's that transition? Yeah. Sure. Because I established, maybe it was in the second message, distinguishing between concern and anxiety. Paul, he said the daily what? Concern for the churches. Um, But he also said be anxious for nothing. So what is that? I, I think... It's perfectly balanced. I have a concern for my family, um, my immediate family. I have a concern for my family that's in Florida. I'm concerned for their souls. I'm hoping that I can witness the gospel to many when I'm there. I'm concerned about their eternal salvation. And to not have that, it's to not, you're not being a Christian. Let's just be plain about it. And so when does it become, let's just take the area of salvation because we can talk about concern for our future even. We should have some concern. We shouldn't take um, sort of an approach that just says, whatever happens and happens in the future, the Lord would take care of me. Let me just spend my money now and live in the present, because that's what verse 34 says, right? No, it doesn't say that. Um, So let's just deal with the issue of salvation. Have a concern for others and their souls, because that's a very purpose for existence, isn't it? Why are you here in the Anchored Fellowship Group? You say, well, fellowship, teaching, accountability. It makes Grace Church more intimate because I'm not surrounded by 3,000 people. I'm only surrounded by, you know, 200 or more or so, and it makes it better. Um, But ultimately, you're here to be edified, and you're to be edified so you can do the work of the 
of the ministry and the ultimate work of the ministry is evangelism. Do you all agree on that? All the things that you ever hear about in this church, in any church that's a real church, is to evangelize. You just heard TMAI, evangelize. But no, it's just training people. Well, we train them so that they can be better at what they do, so they can train others to go and be a witness. Everything we do is for that purpose. So I have to have a concern for it. What did Jesus Christ tell us in his final words? What were his final words to his go? Go, make disciples. Go and make disciples. So, um, but concern when it comes to even family and um, their salvation, it becomes worry when we think that somehow, you know, our words, if we had said that word better, had we said it then, had we done this, then maybe then they would have been, they would have changed. Maybe then they would have heard the gospel. Maybe then. No, friends. Uh, there are people in my family, I've shared the gospel with them, and they have rejected it. Uh, and I will share again. I find different ways to do it. Um, but I have to realize that I have to surrender them to the Lord. I cannot save them. God loves everyone that I know far more than I do. Do we all agree with that? And sometimes people that are worrisome, they sort of think that, you know, I must do this. No, you mustn't. What you must do is trust the Lord. Now, be faithful in what God has called you to do. Uh, when I go there, surely I'm going to speak the gospel and speak truth to people that are there. And if they have a question, hey, Uncle Carl, can you talk to me about this? Sure, I can. Let's talk about it. And there's some people you pray for me that have gotten off into some mysticism that I'm going to sit down and say, what is this madness that you're doing? Where did this come from? Explain this to me. Your soul is in danger. But I will come back, and will I think about them? I will. So concern means that I also have to take a spiritual approach. I have right now, if I were to open up my app, which I've always tell my students and others, I have this app, which is Echo. Um, it's like, you know, an Echo. Great app, and I have in it different things in it. Um, and I have a section Right here, GA Churches, Anchor, The Loss, The Loss. I preached in Vancouver, open air, March 22nd. I still pray for those people. I, didn't ever, I don't know who heard it, but you understand? I have concern for them. I preached for about two hours when I was visiting a church right there in the square in Vancouver. And people are passing by. They're selling things in the market. But I just pray when I come to this point, I just pray, Lord, those people that heard the word of God back in March of 2022, that you bring life to those words. One guy, was, it was a, like a five-story apartment across from me. He ended up coming down, and he was talking to Joey Durantz and some of the other guys saying, I heard this voice out here, and it sounded kind of right, so I wanted to see what it was. See, I can still remember him. And I still remember the gal over here that was selling the essential oils. And the, and the gal over here that had the flowers. And the gal over here that had the, it was uh, some candles that was, you know, or, organic. And I went over and talked to her about it afterwards. Did you, did you hear anything that I said? I have concern. But that concern has to manifest in some spiritual approach to it. I'm not, oh, Lord. 
It's in your hands. You love them more than I do. And, um, man, yo, Dodd, Uber, Charleston, 2023, gave me a works answer, and I gave him a track. There's George, the driver in Nairobi, Kenya, August 23. And I have a list of these people, so I'm concerned for their souls because I must be because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And if you have no concern for the souls of people who are facing eternal punishment, um, you're surely not mature in the faith. And it's questionable whether or not you have faith. So you have two options. You're just not mature. You can grow. And we're all growing. Amen? Or you don't even know the Lord. That's why you don't have a heart for people who are lost. And I can pull up. Oh, yeah. The flight to London. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's right, Ken, Janice, and Alexandra, United Crew, um, London to LAX. That was back in July 2018. So I'm not anxious over them, though. Yeah, I'll take them to the place that, that I can take them. It's to the Lord. Now, that's concern in one area, evangelism. When we come back next week, we'll pick up there. Concern health, concern future, concern workplace, and things like that. How do we go from concern to anxiety? But the basic principle is when we try to control things too much, and then when it affects us spiritually and emotionally, where it it harms us, you've moved into anxiety. Paul had a concern for the church, but it wasn't affecting him spiritually and then you know, even physically. All right? Great questions. We'll answer more as we move ahead. Uh, Father, thank you for your goodness, grace, and mercy. We pray that even now uh, you take these good words, use them in all of our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.